Amen. Amen. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. You know, today is an exciting day for the Christian. I mean, today we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, that's when Jesus rose victorious. Over death, over hell, over the grave. (laughs) We have hope and assurance today because of his resurrection. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that is. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I mean, for many people, it's a day to buy new clothes. It's that one time of year to go to church. It's to hunt Easter eggs. But folks, to me, it represents the daily victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Every single day, we have that victory. See, this ought to be the most precious day of the year. I mean, Christmas is good. It's wonderful. But his birth wasn't enough. Jesus had to die and rise again that we might have salvation, that we might have eternal life. That's what we celebrate today. And you know, it stirs my heart to to be here today and to have the privilege to worship our great Redeemer. What a beautiful thing. I mean, I want to take a few moments this morning and just just look at the details of of the resurrection as we consider maybe the the testimony here of the tomb, what the tomb had to say. But some folks may doubt, but I have complete assurance that Jesus rose from the grave. We sing that song. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. I see His hand of mercy. I hear His voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. I mean, nobody, nobody can take that away from us. He lives within my heart. You know, in John 20, the chapter, it, it, falls quite naturally into three movements. The first movement you have at the tomb. The second movement you have is that Jesus is alive. And the third one is his appearance to the apostles and to others. And then the chapter wraps up with a, with a very powerful statement of purpose. And this is what it says. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing in him, you may have life in his name. What a powerful name 
it is. See, Easter Sunday is the Sunday that we gather to celebrate that our hope is alive in the resurrection of Jesus. And God's word speaks to us that this hope is an anchor of the soul. An anchor of the soul. And it's often unspoken strength allows us to rise every day to face the uncertainties of life. Because life is crazy. And I don't need to tell you that. We all know that with life's ups and downs and, and, and our losses and our letdowns. See, we can anchor our souls with divine strength. The hope of Easter is the hope that meets us in the real world. In the real world. John 20, I want to read verse 1 and then I want to read uh, 11 through 18. Beginning in verse 1, chapter 20 of John, it says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Verse 11. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, She stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. And did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you gave it to us. Father, your love letter to us to, to let us know you better. And I pray, Father, this morning that your Holy Spirit, Father, would draw us to you. Father, that your Holy Spirit would draw each of us into your presence. And Father, that we might see you that your glory would be revealed in each of our hearts, in each of our lives. And Father, that we might know you better. Thank you, Father, for your great love for us. Guide us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Notice that our account here doesn't begin in the light of day. It begins while it's still dark. It begins... In a place far less clear, and I want to say far more personal. 
it begins with this individual, Mary. This person named Mary, possibly as fascinating and encouraging as anything God chooses to do, he focuses the greatest events and the events of cosmic proportions, he focuses them on an ordinary individual. (laughs) I love that. Because that means each one of us has a shot at God doing something amazing in our lives. See, Mary is not what you would call a traditionally religious person. She's not somebody that, that, that we would think of as being a, 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 a churchgoer, if you will. She was from the city of Magdala, Magdala, excuse me, along the Sea of Galilee, and, and, and may have had a, a wealthy background. But nothing could protect her from the harsh realities of the world. You see, she was a woman in a world that found women a good scapegoat on which to place its shame. Somehow more easily separated from God, there was little acceptability to hope on her own. And as many people come to find out, the most oppressive powers aren't just cultural and political. Sometimes they are personal and spiritual. Tradition has it that Mary was what we call a scarlet sinner. She had become oppressed by spiritual powers that literally bound her within We probably understand Mary better by knowing that. Because we know what it's like to be bound within. See, this day, before the day that a, a new presence came into town, a presence that moved more powerful than all the other powers around her and within her, Jesus had come to town and he had looked into her soul. He saw her. He, he, he cast out those powers that were within, those, those demonic powers. And he did something for her that no one else could ever do. And she could never forget it. See, I would submit to you this morning that our own love for Jesus pales in comparison to the love that Mary had for Jesus. See, the part that love plays in this account is extraordinary because it was Mary. It was Mary who loved Jesus who was at the tomb first. She comes to the tomb in love, but also in darkness. Not just darkness in the sky, but darkness within. You see, her love may have been strong, but her hope couldn't see anything left to hold on to. We've all had opportunity to grieve. We know what that's about. We know what it feels like to have your heart ripped in two. We know the openness of that wound. We know how hard it is when we love someone so much. 
If you get a picture of that in your mind, you get a picture of how Mary was feeling on that morning as she went to the tomb. She was grief stricken. He was gone. He was gone and the world without him was dark. Dark around and dark within. But folks, hear this. Easter begins in a world that's not always safe, that's not sane, that's not satisfying. Easter begins in that kind of world. Easter begins in a world where the love of family and friends can fall short. None of us live up to all the expectations. Easter begins in a world where people we love, they leave us far too soon. And that's when Easter enters into the world. See, the love of God is a deep love that seeks us in the darkness. We're groping around in the darkness, not even knowing what we're looking for. And it's in that moment that God comes to us seeking us. It's in that moment that he rescues us. It is in that moment that Easter comes into our lives. See, if you've ever found it hard to see that kind of love, you can appreciate Mary. Because the hope of Easter begins with one whose hopes appear to be sealed in the harsh reality of the grave, of a tomb. And whose expectations are once again left in a natural world. (laughs) I mean, even when she arrives at the tomb, she finds this large stone that was placed in front of this cave-like tomb already moved and rolled away. Now she might have thought, well, maybe the Jews took his body out of there. Or maybe, maybe it was some bandits who came and, and make their business robbing graves. But notice then in this passage, there is a presence beside her. But what can she hope for? A gardener? Someone who, who works here, who, who, who prunes and who cuts and, and who trims and who places, who plants. What could she hope for? See, the presence of the one she loves, the one she longs for, the one she can't see clearly through her sadness. Her head and her heart are turned downward in tears and her heart is broken. The hope of Easter begins in that place where it's hard for us. To recognize God's presence through our tears, through our trials, through our frustrations, through our fears. But the voice of hope on Easter morning would penetrate the darkness. What Mary saw that Easter morning would change her life forever. And... It can change yours too. That kind of love. Because Jesus came to Mary because she needed him. (laughs) Folks, we all need him. We all need Jesus. 
And he knew better than she did that we all need a risen Savior. I mean, she was only the first. But we all need that. We all need a Savior. Now, she wasn't to cling to his bodily appearance. For the the hope that was alive was not a limited presence. Not limited to his body. But it was his unlimiting presence. Which now would transcend time and space. I love that. As a living hope, not just for a woman, but for the entire world. See, what is the living hope that changed Mary's life? It was in the risen Christ. Mary discovered our living hope that Christ can overcome any powers over my past. Over whatever I used to be. The power of Christ can overcome that. My past. And we all know something of the power that overcomes our past. The shame that ties us down from the hope in who we long to be. I was thinking about a group of six-year-old kids. They were asked to write a prayer. And little Arthur, he, he, he stared and he fidgeted and he, he, he finally wrote, Dear God, please help me to be the person that my dog thinks I am. Folks, we need that. We need to be that. Another teacher asked her class what each one of them wanted to be when they grew up. You know, you want to be a president, you want to be a firefighter, you want to be a policeman, you want to be a teacher. And they went and took their turns around the room and, and, and it came little Billy's turn and, and, and he said, uh, she asked him, Billy, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he, he replied, possible. She said, Possible? What do you mean by that? He said, well, my mom's always telling me I'm impossible. When I grow up, I want to become possible. Folks, Mary wanted to be possible. Then Jesus, the Messiah, he spoke into her life with with power. And when he looked into her eyes and confronted the powers, he set her free. But there was more than just the authority of heaven. There was the love of heaven. You can ask yourself, how would my life change if I truly believed the Bible's astounding words about God's love for me? If I looked into the mirror and was able to view what God sees? See, the living hope of Jesus is that we never have to be defined by our past. Not tied to our failures. In Colossians 2, verse 13, Paul writes this. He says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. I mean, God made you alive in Christ. And he forgave all your sins and Christ can overcome any powers over the past. (laughs) And Christ is present with me always, each and every day. He wasn't concerned about her past when he called her name in the garden. 
He was doing that out of love. See, he was with her. See, the deepest comfort in life is not material comforts. But it's in meaningful companionship. What comforts us most is to know that we are not alone. Augustine said it this way. He said, you ascended before our eyes. We turned to grieve only to find you in our hearts. Jesus said in John 14, verse 18, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas said to him, Lord, when that has happened that you are going to... Uh, when that has happened, that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. I love that. This is why Mary couldn't hold on to Jesus. Jesus' presence wasn't leaving His presence was being loosed. He's no longer just in the body, but now he becomes omnipresent. He becomes everywhere, all at once. You think about this. He merely wasn't the hope of a woman. He was the hope of the entire world. He's saying, don't cling to me. I'm for everybody. I'm for everyone. So that we never have to feel alone again. See, Christ rose so that all of us who receive him, who take him into our our hearts and lives, could be, his presence could be within us, among us. And he's here right now. He's here with you when you go home, when you lay down, when you rise up, wherever you go, he's there. Because he's here. But you need to know something else. Christ has a future for me and for you to be with him forever. (laughs) I love that. Jesus knew that death was born of spiritual separation, this enemy which he came to defeat. He told us in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And Thomas said, Lord, if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the hope that changed Mary's life was that she would be with Jesus forever. And Mary is a marvelous illustration of how we 
who have been delivered from guilt and sin, the power of sin, should appreciate and be thankful for the things that the Lord has done in our lives. You know, I, I read about a story about a, a, a father who was trying to persuade his son that he, he didn't need an ice cream cone and he didn't, wanna, he didn't want him to have an ice cream cone. And, and uh, they were driving along the road together and, and the son pipes up and he says, uh, Daddy, I, I want an ice cream cone. Well, and, and, and the father, he he's, he's, thinks that it, it, what, he would rather give some reasons why rather than just say no. And so he begins and he says, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't think that's a good idea. He said, uh, it, it's not the cone. I just, I just don't think you need one right now. I mean, earlier you had quite a few sweets, and it may not be good for you to have a cone on top of that. And, and besides that, we're going to have supper in a little while. It's mid-afternoon, and, and you know, we, we really um, probably shouldn't do that because it will ruin your supper. And, um, you know, he gave some rational points, and the, the, the car got very quiet as they were driving. They were traveling down the road. And there was quiet for some time. And the father, of course, he's patting himself on the back figuratively, thinking, yeah, I, I squashed that. I took care of that. After a moment of silence, the little boy said, Daddy? He said, yes, son. He said, I want an ice cream cone. And he had a one-track mind. And I love that because Mary had a one-track mind. Sometimes I have a one-track mind. She was thinking of the Lord Jesus and she was thinking of what she gained by knowing him. How he had blessed her and what she had lost, no doubt, because he was no longer with her. But in this passage... The turning point comes in verse 16. In verse 13 she says, I don't know where they have laid him, thinking that somebody took his body. If they will just tell me where they put him, I will get him. But notice, it's when Jesus calls her by name. Mary. See, I would submit to you today. That Jesus calls you by your name. He knows your name and he calls you by your name. See, Christ proved once and for all that there is more beyond this life. And life can never be understood the same way. Listen to what Peter says. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Folks, That'll put me on shouting ground every time. Reserved in heaven for you. Or in Hebrews. I'm almost done. Hebrews. Chapter 6, verse 19. It says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast. 
and one which enters through within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. See, in the resurrection of Jesus, God embedded in the earth an anchor of hope. The anchor of our soul. Sturdy enough to withstand all of the storms and all the trials. See, this hope is the anchor that declares, Christ can overcome my past. Christ is with me in the present every day. And Christ has a future for me to be forever with him. This anchor of hope is just like receiving good news ahead of time. You know, good news ahead of time. It's coming. It's coming. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that you called my name. And Father, I know that you've called many of our names. But Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw those you are still calling. Father, we have amazing hope because of Jesus and because of his resurrection. And Father, that hope is a life-changing hope. That Father, we will be forever changed. Father, I ask that in this moment that you would draw those you are drawing, those you are speaking to, those you are calling by name to yourself. And Father, in this time, in this time of response, Father, we've heard your word. In all of life, you initiate and we respond. So we ask once again, Father, that, that we would respond. I pray for courage. Father, I pray for your love. I pray for forgiveness. I pray, Father, for all of your glory to be poured into our lives that we might shine for you. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for resurrecting Jesus. And we thank you for resurrecting us. Lord, we ask this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus our Savior and Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen.